The Parent-Teacher Conference Podcast is sponsored by FanSchool. Parents, are you finding it difficult to see your child's work since it's all digital? Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. In the past few weeks, I've heard the following statement said, or something close to it, in terms of education. The worst thing people can say is, quote, we've always done it like that. The worst thing people can say is we've always done it like that? You know, when I was a kid, the worst thing you could say was your mama. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host, and today we're going to be talking about change and that statement, you know, do we stay with the status quo or do we look to just unravel the system and redesign it? We'll look at it both from a teacher point of view and a parent point of view as always. And later in the episode, I am going to share how I have introduced my sponsor's educational app fan school to my students what's going on and hopefully give you a glimpse of how I handle change because that's change I'm adding something into my classroom routine and I'll discuss how I go about it based on what I think about should we keep the status quo or should we upset the apple cart but as always if you have any questions comments or concerns please feel free to reach out to me at p ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That is Parent Teacher Conference Podcast, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Of course, you can always share your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And please retweet this, share it, whatever you have to do. If you appreciate what is being said here, or some of the thoughts hopefully are provoking and make you think things through. So yes, today we're talking about the long-running debate, should we maintain the status quo or should we upset the apple cart? Or as the title of the podcast questions, is it truly out with the old, in with the new? As I said in the beginning, I've heard this statement said for two different reasons, but both for educational reasons. The idea that the worst thing you can say 
is we've always done it like that or maintaining the status quo. So first, let's just go at the statement, right? The worst thing you can say is we've always done it like that or the worst thing you can do is keep the status quo. Now, if we're going to go hyperbole on this, let's go full hyperbole the other way. You know, looking through history, you know who've also said the worst or something similar, I should say, the idea that the worst thing you can say is we've always done it like that or the worst thing we can do is maintain the status quo. You know throughout history who said that? The world's most notorious tyrants. No, I'm serious. I mean, if we're going to go hyperbole, let's be honest. Tyrants, that's the speech of tyrants. Look at Robespierre and the French Revolution. Like the whole French Revolution upending the old order or Mao's cultural revolution in China, or Pol Pot, what he did in Cambodia, basically moving everybody out of the cities onto the farms and making it year one again. They basically were true believers in the worst thing you can say is we've always done it like that. They were true believers that the worst thing you could do is maintain the status quo. I mean, if we're going to go full hyperbole, let's go at it. Let's argue at the extremes. But as you've come to expect from this podcast, I'm not going to argue from the extremes. But if you want a defense to that statement, if you really believe that something that you have done, a time-honored tradition, is the reason it's a time-honored tradition at your school or in your family is because it's good. There's value to it. And if somebody attacks it with that line, the worst thing you can say is, We've always done it like that, or the worst thing you can do is maintain the status quo. The best line back is tell them, well, the tyrants are the people who say stuff like that, too. And that will hopefully get you back to discussing is there value in the practice? Because that is the true argument. The other one is just manip- both. Both the tyrant line and the worst thing you can say line are just pure manipulation. What you really need to get back to is, no, no. It's not about old or new. It's about, is it worth it? That's really the question. Or why are we doing it? Is for good reasons so we have good results? That is the true question. You know, I, in the beginning of the year, I share with my students why we study history. And one of the reasons is based on a quote from the famous British author C.S. Lewis. He calls it chronological snobbery. We have this view, he says, and I'm not going to give you his actual quote, but we have this view that since we live in the present, we know better than the people in the past. And we dismiss ideas from the past just because they're old. So for a person saying, well, you shouldn't just stick with the status quo. Well, okay, they have a point. We shouldn't just stick with the status quo for sticking to the status quo's sake. But at the same time, we shouldn't just change things for change's sake either. That's just as wrong. We have to look, and, and Lewis says this, we have to look at why the status quo is the status quo. What benefit is there? He's not saying you don't change things 
What he's saying is you can't use as your only argument, we've done it like that forever. We have to get rid of it. We have to change things up. And we have to understand why society does this. I mean, every commercial is new and improved, right? The new and improved, this is, you know, this is why you need to buy it. Why do we see every time Apple puts out a new iPhone, why do we see people camping out for days to get the new one? Because we have this mentality that is that newer one I must have because it's new, it's shiny. I mean, they just have to tweak a couple features and you have to go get it. Where the old iPhone, yeah, maybe it's missing out on a feature or two, but you don't miss out on it. You never had it. Old iPhones do the job. And you know, we can all get into manufacturers with planned obsolescence too. You know, they always we always talk about why is it that old appliances, even old houses, last so long? They weren't built with planned obsolescence. They weren't built to fail after so many years, forcing you to buy a new one. But yet that's our society. We've kind of grown accustomed that we have to have the latest and greatest. But it may be the latest, but it may not be the greatest. So my discussion today will be about when do we change and when don't we change? I mean, first we have to recognize that life itself is change. You know, I, I share that with my students. I share that with my own kids. The other day, we were talking about how now, what influences you the most or what should influence you the most with my students? And I shared with them what I share with my own daughters. You know, they're teenagers or soon to be teenagers or 12, 13 year old students. And I said, you know, this is a time of your life where you're trying to stretch for more independence. And your parents are saying no, not because they hate you, because they love you so much. They just want to make sure you're going to make good decisions. They recognize it's not that they don't want you growing up. They know you're going to grow up and it does hurt them because they love you so much. They would love for you to be young kids with them their, your whole life, but they know that's not real. They know the reality is that in a few years, maybe around a decade, you're going to be out of the house on your own working and they just want to make sure that in all this change, that you're ready because they love you that much. You know, we, I share the line, sometimes the most loving word you can hear is no. And I said, you know, during this time of change, you do have some influencers. Like I brought up this one musician and I said, you know, look at her lyrics. She talks about how horrible family life is so much like time with your parents, your parents are hypocrites, things like that. But when you read into her family life, she had a great family life. She goes, oh, no, I didn't have a bad, I didn't have a bad time with my parents. So why is she doing it? Well, she's doing it because the singer knows there's this natural pull away from your parents during this time. And singers like that and lyrics like that are looking to drive a wedge in your relationship with your family to make money because at the time of your life that you are starting to pull away from your parents as you become more independent. That's not helpful. So what I encourage my students to do is listen to your family. Don't see it in that aspect. I, I, I think 
I'm doing well by my students' parents in doing that. I, I hope their parents appreciate that. I'm backing them up. But in this world of change, and I think we're changing really rapidly with the how quick information can get to us, we can see a rapidly changing world, rapidly changing mores, right, happening all around us. And we already are in change. We, we move from one stage of life to the other, and now things that institutions, ideas, thoughts that we weren't thought were stable are also rapidly changing around us. And is it any wonder why anxiety is on the increase? I mean, there's there seems no firm footing anymore. But yet we push for more and more change. It has to be, it's like the only value for some people is change. That's the value. If you're not changing, you're not growing. And I, I think that one part of growth is realizing, no, you need some stability. You need them both. You need some firm ground there. Or you're going to live a very anxiety-induced life. I think that's why fear of something going wrong has now become the reason we do anything. Instead of accepting the fact that life is risks and, you know, we're not doing foolhardily here. We are not doing the most riskiest behavior in order to live, but we do try to mitigate the risk, don't we? So that's kind of philosophically where I'm coming from here that, yeah, we we should change things that are wrong, but we shouldn't make things appear wrong just to change them either or because this, this need of we have to do something because if something bad happens, then we didn't do everything we could. Newsflash, you're never going to be able to do everything you could. On EduTwitter, and what I call EduTwitter is the community of teachers on Twitter that shares thoughts and ideas and what they're doing in the classroom. And if you're a teacher and you're not, you don't have a Twitter account and start tapping into some of the things that are being said on there, I think you are missing out on just, not even just to make improve your classroom, just to know what thoughts are of some of your colleagues out in the educational world. You don't have to post anything, just get an account and start putting hashtag, you know, typing in different hashtags or just type in searches for teachers and you'll start seeing a bunch of them and start following them and see what they have to say. It'll probably lead you to more. But anyway, on EduTwitter, you had people during the pandemic hoping that this was going to be the opportunity to change. Like the old statement, don't let a good um, crisis go to waste, right? We're going to change how we do education in America. And now, as we've gone back to school without masks, without social distancing, it's pretty much a normal year again. People are wondering what happened to the change. What, you know, we're back to normal. This isn't good. Is it not good? I mean, again, kids had their lives, families had their lives, all of us had our lives thrown upside down. I think what we needed was a little bit of stability. And the practicality of changing the whole system of how we do school was really impractical for any administrator to think through during COVID, those two years. I am confident that my principal was not thinking 
Okay, this is my opportunity to change up how we do schooling in our district forever. I think what he was thinking was, how do I keep the kids safe? How do we make sure things are getting clean constantly? Do we have hand sanitizers in each classroom? Do we have shields up? How do I keep kids social distancing when they want to be hanging out together? They've missed so they've missed each other's company for so long. I, I think the administrators were so focused on the crisis at hand, they weren't thinking, how do I use this crisis to make changes? And the whole COVID lockdowns and mandates and restrictions were a huge change they had to deal with in itself. Now, I'm an older teacher. I always say, in terms of technology, I am riding the wave, but it could crash down on me any moment. I was there at, you know, I was a young guy in my teens when the home computer craze started kicking in. Maybe a little behind it. So I wasn't there when home computers were really starting to move in. I was just be before that. I mean, I was I had a home computer. One of the reasons I had a home computer because I had an uncle who worked for AT&T and he was able to get me a computer. So that's the only reason we could afford one. So I did have a computer in college, but I wasn't like a kid who grew up on it. And that's the kids today have grown up on computers. So we have a young you have young teachers who are that's their native tool for education or computers. It wasn't for me. I mean, paper and pencil, probably for a lot of us. So for me, I don't feel that I'm a nativist technology guy. I enjoy using it in the classroom. I can use it in the classroom. I feel comfortable using it in the classroom. But I don't feel like I am some guru or superstar when it comes to tech in the classroom. And it's funny because the perception I believe in my school is that I am. And I can see why. I mean, my master's degree is in educational technology, but that was almost 20 years ago now. A lot has changed since I walked up onto that podium and shook the president's hand to get my master's degree. And a couple of years ago, our school start, you know, created a position of technology coach, and I was actually approached to take on that position. Now, I turned it down. The reason is I love teaching history more than I would enjoy walking around classrooms and helping people introduce different apps into the classroom. And the reality is I'm not that guy. I really only use a few apps. I just decide to use them well. The other day, the art teacher was getting into something called Edpuzzle. Edpuzzle I've been using it for years. It really came in handy during the pandemic. What I what you do is you take a video. Sometimes I create my own video with Keynote on my Mac, or you can find one on YouTube and you upload it to Edpuzzle. And then the teacher can put in questions throughout the video for comprehension, for thoughts about what the kids are seeing and giving a thought question out, or just to make sure they're watching it. So the art teacher had some questions about it because she knew the kids tell her, oh, Mr. Cullen uses Ed Puzzle all the time. But I'm not somebody who constantly is introducing new apps into the classroom. In fact, when our tech coaches do say, oh, you should use this app, um, I don't jump on the bandwagon. I take my time. I think, is it worth it? Is this change worth upsetting things? And if, the other thing is, if I keep on changing, my class no longer becomes about 
learning history, my class becomes about learning the apps. What's As a history teacher, what's my job? To teach history. The apps are just a vehicle to help get us to the learning of history. And that brings us to fan school. Now, if you don't know what fan school is, first of all, full disclosure, they do sponsor this podcast, and I'm grateful for that. Fan school is a social learning app. So, and I think there are two components to it. One, there's a game. And the game asks students to start thinking about current events. And they have different categories. So let's say we've been doing countries. We actually did sports teams this week. But we did countries the first week. And they have to ask themselves, which countries will be mentioned in the news more often than not? So the kids have to go into the news, see which countries are being mentioned. And they each have a price tag, just kind of like fantasy sports. So, for example, when Queen Elizabeth II died recently, the value of Britain went way up. So you could choose Britain, but it was spending most of your money, your quote-unquote money, to get Britain. But it was going to get you a lot of mentions in the news because it was all over the news for a good week. And then the other thing from that is students can post their own blogs. And a teacher could give an assignment and they post on a blog. Their parents can go in and look at it and see what their kids are writing and thinking about in class. Now, just so you know, I haven't done that aspect yet. And it kind of goes along with my belief of, you know, slow transition. I think part of this has to do with the history teacher in me. I think there is a historical um, perspective of whenever societies have tried to upset the apple cart, you upset the people or you basically chain them up if they don't want to change as we've seen or execute them as we've seen in like the French Revolution and the Cultural Revolution, etc. So all I'm doing for the first couple of weeks here is just playing the game, getting kids used to the system. Then I'm going to introduce the blogging aspect because that's very valuable. I do want my students, parents, to see what they're writing. They can you know, say to their friends, hey, my kid just wrote this great article, this great blog post about Hurricane Ian. Look, that, I do want that. But um, it's, and it, the other thing is, I already have a natural classroom flow. So I have to see how this works in. So for us, Friday is a review day. We do a review game. And I'm like, that's a good day to do fan school. And the kids have really taken to it. The, um, and some things I didn't realize about it. I thought, so I, I planned it out for a week. Because usually, like, for I know fantasy baseball that I'm in, you play a week at a time. So I set it up that each week will have a winner. But I didn't know that you could change your picks every day. A kid found that out. That's, that's the nice thing about when you introduce an app, when a kid tells you, hey, Mr. Cullen, did you know you can do this? So I had this one girl who was so into it. She was the one who found out. She's like, yeah, I'm going in every day. I'm looking through the news and I'm trying to say, oh, you know, these kids are picking this, but I'm starting to see like little stories about this country and I'm gonna start picking it. And that's what you want, right? You want kids to be self-initiated in their own learning. So. I just had a great time with fan school. We're finishing up our second weeks, and, and kids are saying, 
hey, when do we find out who won? And I'm like, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And they could, to be honest with you, they can find out. They, there is a score, a leaderboard. But I think it's the whole proclamation of who won. If your name gets announced, and you know, you can have a little bit of pride that you won. And, and the other thing is, it, it doesn't matter where you are academically. I mean, all it's taking is for you to go online to news sources and just start looking up the news and seeing what's being mentioned a lot. A lot of anybody can do that. So the kids are having a great time with it. I'm going to introduce the blogging aspect in a few weeks. So I'm really pleased. And that's what I mean by I'm slowly introducing this new routine into my classroom instead of just rushing and throwing it all in and then the other thing you have to deal with and you see this again through history you think this change is great nobody makes a change to be horrible they think that this change we got to overthrow everything because it's gonna be so great and they come down hard when problems come up and because they didn't foresee the problems and they just want the change to happen right away and in their inability to solve the problems they tend to get tyrannical in trying to solve them now, I can give you an example of that with fan school. So in the beginning of the year, I said, you know, we've used our devices a lot over the last two years. So when you come in my classroom, I don't want your devices open. I want you getting ready to learn. Basically, the default is no device until I say, okay, open up your Chromebook. We're going to do something on it. Well, you know, as I walk in, some kids are forgetting. Say, hey, close your Chromebook, close your Chromebook. But now as we started fan school twice this week, I turn to the kid and go, go, one of my students go, close your Chromebook. And then I look and see what's on their screen. And it's fan school. They are going through, they're selecting new picks. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I'm being that tyrannical person that I'm sticking strongly to this no Chromebook. But at the same time, it's ruining this thing that they're, they're invested in now. That's new app they're invested in. So... I've decided starting today, I'm going to tell the students the one thing you have your Chromebook open for is updating your picks on fan school. I don't want to be a tyrant. You know, people who are against rapid change aren't against change. They just want to make sure that change has benefits. You know, for example, for example, let's say you want to, as a school administrator, increase the number of students in the mainstream classroom. You know, students with IEPs who may be in a resource room, but you want to increase that number. A bad way of increasing that number is to eliminate resource rooms, especially in the elementary school level. That's just stupid. And yes, I'm speaking from experience, and yes, it may be one of my children. But that's a that's a dumb way. You know, you can say, look it, we have all these kids in the inclusive classroom now. But have you done anything for them? Are they in the mainstream classroom because of the school staff's efforts of getting them there? Or is it just because you eliminated something? That's not change. That's horrible. And now the kid's struggling even more because they shouldn't be in that classroom. So how does it help the kid? helps the stats though when you show it to the Board of Education. So that change is not good change. You know, and I talked about earlier about Edu Twitter and there's all these 
new pedagogies and philosophies of education that are shooting around. And it reminds me of something that was said by, I believe, one of the smartest men alive today. He's like 90 years old. His name is Thomas Sowell. He's one of America's foremost leading economists, um, opinion writers, editorialists. People always are seeking out his opinion. He's one of those guys who take very complex things and breaks it down to understandable levels for people like me. And he said this once, that theorists in the liberal arts really aren't held accountable for their theories. The things they want to change in society, they're not held ever held accountable. It's not like an engineer. An engineer can have a theory of how that bridge should be made. A new way, a change, the bridge building. But in order to prove it, he has to build a bridge under that theory. And quickly he'll realize that he's being held to the law of physics. And if it doesn't work, the bridge is going to fall and people are going to say that's pretty stupid. But yet, when it comes to the liberal arts, theorists spout off the craziest new ideas. Because they know in the end they're not going to be held accountable. And some people are going to sit there going, huh, that's awesome. And they judge the value of the idea on the extent of the change rather than is it worth it. And that's when we talk about old keeping the old status quo or changing things up. We should never stay with the old just because it's old or change to the new just because it's new. As educators and parents, we have to ask ourselves, is this the best for our kids? Thank you for joining me on the Parent-Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply. <laughs>